Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. So I discovered something really weird this morning. I have two music app libraries on my iMac. It doesn't sync to the cloud. It's got about 70,000 tracks. It's all the stuff that I don't want Apple to ruin the metadata on. On my laptop, I have a library with about 30,000 tracks. That's my Apple Music library. It syncs to the cloud. I use it on my iPhone and my iPad and everything else. And I was answering an email from a correspondent this morning about files in the music folder, in the home folder music folder. And I went to look at my music library and it was 7.06 gigabytes. I look now, it's gone up to 7.11 gigabytes. Now, the total amount of media on this Mac, because all the music's not downloaded, is only 7.02 gigabytes. The music library file used to be a file. Now it's a package. On macOS, a package is a type of file that can contain other files. So an application is a package. It may have thousands of files inside, but to the user, it looks like it's a single file. When I look in my package, I can see 177 megabytes. That's the genius information. The actual library itself is 23 megabytes. And then there's hundreds of temporary files, each of which are 23.2 megabytes. And these started on November 14th last year which may have been a system update. And the latest one is, well, probably right now. In fact, there's several right now, because as I said, it got bigger since the last time I looked a few hours ago. That's pretty weird. I'm going to suppose that my music library, at least on the computer that I'm working on now, is a fairly decent sized one at 377 megabytes. Well, your music library, as I said, it includes the library itself, what used to be the ITL file. It includes the Genius database. There's extras, which is 872, and there's a preferences. So these were files that were individually, you would have your Genius file separate from the actual library file, and that's changed. People who know can still access these files if you need to. But yeah, you're right. These used to be all exposed in the music folder and you could access them. And it meant that people might copy one file to another computer and not another. And in fact, the, the email I answered today was someone who wanted to have his library the same on both computers by copying files back and forth. And I said, the cloud is the ideal solution, but for whatever reason, he didn't want to do it. Could be, I, it's, this has been a conversation going on for weeks. I think he didn't want to do it because of the metadata issues that I mentioned. This is a problem that people have had for years. They want to have the same files on two different Macs. And the problem is you can do it once, but then the other iTunes doesn't update. It doesn't update the files that you've played on the other one. It doesn't, you can't have one library in a homemade situation where, uh, where two or more applications can access it because only one application can access a music library. There's only one music library folder as far as the, the music app is concerned, and that's the one that it's, it's pointing to in its preferences. Now, the only way you could do that is if you're using your library on 
computer A. You copy it to computer B. When you're finished using it, you copy it back to computer A. But then you have all these issues. If you forget to copy the media folder and you've added media on one, then the library is going to have files not found. And it, iTunes is just not designed for this. And of course, when they introduced iTunes Match, what, 10 years ago, a little bit less, this was an attempt to resolve this problem, right? Yeah. Because people wanted to do it, because people were networking at home, because people had different devices, because, you know, and people were doing homemade solutions and probably lighting up the support boards at Apple, <laughs> you know, yeah, and you know how they are about support. If they have to support something, that's a consideration for them not to do it anymore because it's very yeah. expensive. So yeah, uh, yeah. they came up with the uh, the iTunes uh, library solution, which is a good solution if you go with it. Yeah. Like, like there are so many people our age that are sticking the muds that they they absolutely refuse to to go with the flow, but so that's why this guy is probably having problems. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I this is the first I've heard of that other fellow, your correspondent. Yes. Well, we now we, the temp files. What's going on there? Do you have any idea? I don't know, and and I've never seen this before, and I'm assuming it has something to do with the cloud. Now I've just deleted them all, and I'm going to launch the music app, and I'll keep my eyes on the contents of the library. Because when the music app was running this morning, it added more files. I told you that the size had changed since I first noticed it. So I deleted them all. I've got a library of a few hundred megabytes, which is normal. And I'll see if anything changes. Is there, is there anything else that's the same size elsewhere that, you know, it, it's duplicating or it's, it's, it's... The only time I ever see a temp file is when there's some kind of conversion going on. There'll be like an audio file conversion. Okay, so it just created a new temp file, 23.3 megabytes. If I open it with BBEdit to try and see what's inside, so BBEdit is a text editor that shows you nothing but gibberish here. Sometimes you can see useful texts in files like this. So I don't know. This looks like it's going to continue generating every few minutes until the file is bigger than the free space on this Mac, if I don't pay attention to it. So what... This is this Mac the one that talks to the cloud? Yes. Yes, it is. So I'm wondering if there's some cloud data coming down. That's... The temp file is 23.3 megabytes. The library file inside this package is 23.2 megabytes. So it looks like it's updating the library and not deleting the temp files. Yes, that's what it sounds like. That's why I was asking the size. Or was there any other way to match it to another file? But that, it, that it's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. So just before we started recording, you said you've got to talk about this. So I haven't had time to Google it and see if anyone else has the problem to see if there's a solution for this. Because it's obvious that, I mean, it will fill up a drive. If you have a drive that's not very big, I've got a terabyte no, I've got 500 gigabytes in this Mac. When would you have noticed this otherwise? Let's put it that way. When would when would you have ever looked in that dot music library file? Never. Never. You would find that you're running out of space if you've got lots of videos and you filled it up and downloaded a lot of music, but you'd never think of looking there. Unless you start rooting around at your, in your home folder, looking for the folders with the biggest files. But you have to know that this file can't be as big as it is. Yeah, I'd be looking for really large files. I wouldn't be looking for something that small. That's weird. No, seven gigabytes. It was seven gigabytes before yes, I deleted this stuff. But I think I would be looking for files rather than folder sizes. You know what I mean? A package might not show up as a, as a file. It might show up as a folder or as a package. Sometimes you have to say, don't show me packages. Yeah, there are disk utilities that you can use. 
I don't know if Omni Disk Sweeper is still around. It was free for a long time. The people who make Omni Focus and Omni Outline, but there are others. You can look up on the Mac App Store. There, are, Daisy Disk is one of them. Really pretty colors, and you can use that to find if there's any orphan files that are on your Mac taking up a lot of space. So this can be useful actually just as a sort of standard house cleaning thing to check every now and then because you do have temp files or old video files. and That's funny. That's That sort of talk really brings me back because I really haven't had a problem with that sort of thing in a long time with my computers. Um, there was a time when it seemed like compatibility issues and ding-a-dang-a-ding, whatever, would happen and you'd have problems with bloating and files all over the place but i don't seem to have any problems with that this is the first issue these dot temp files that you're seeing is the first sort of issue like this i've heard in a long time and and to to bring up you know to bring up hard drive cleaners to bring up file system cleaners that's another blast from the past yeah i think it's worth there was a time Back in the day when Rob Griffiths founded Mac OS X Hints, it was really early when Mac OS X came out, I believe it right after the first public version came out in 2001, I wrote for Hints for many years. I contributed to a book that was published with Hints, Mac OS Powerhound. I don't know why they chose that <laughs> name. It had a picture yeah, of a, a, a dog on a motorcycle. Yeah. But this was our bread and butter. Okay, the, here's this problem. Here's how to fix it. How can I do that? How can I get, what's the workaround? How can I twist this thing to fit the square bit into the round hole, right? And we've needed this less and less. These disk cleaning tools, back in the day, we have to we had to rebuild desktops. And then we had to, you know, reset Permissions. We had to repair permissions in early Mac OS X. For the most part, that stuff is gone. And it's a good point that this doesn't get a lot of attention, that we used to spend a lot of time over these little tiny problems and fixes and workarounds. And I think we don't anymore. I, I can't really, other than trying to find the perfect app to store information, which is still a quest, I can't think of any kind of problem I've had like this in a long time. Anyway. Well, I'm sorry you have a problem, anyway. and I'm sure it'll be fixed, and you'll figure it out, and it'll be fine. Let's just move on. Now, I want you to tell me—I can't remember, because we've done other podcasts together where you have talked about the new classic—what are they calling it? Apple Classic Music. Classic Music Apple. Apple Music Apple Classic. What's it called? Apple Music Classical. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You remembered. Apple Music Classical. It's to differentiate from Apple Music Okay. All right. I got it. Okay. I can remember that. <laughs> it's to differentiate from the Apple Music app, which on your iPhone is a red icon with a white pair of beamed quavers. The Apple Music Classical app is a clef. Oh, classy. Now, it's not a G clef. It would be a G clef only if it was on a score on the G note, right? So this is just called a clef. Most people think of it as a G clef because that's the way they usually see it in yeah. music. Most people will see that and say, that's a musical symbol, isn't it? <laughs> That's what I think most exactly. people Exactly, just like the two beamed quavers yeah. of the yeah. other one. Yeah. Now, I, before we, before you tell me about this, I wanna, I wanna just remind you of a conversation we had with a mutual friend recently, and he was gobsmacked that Apple would need a second music application for classical music. He just didn't understand that, and we had to kind of, we had to slap him around, quite frankly. <laughs> um, we did. We had to had explain to him why the classical music app as a separate app is, is an absolute necessity. You, you can do it. I did it very rudely to him the last time. You could 
to it now. Well, it's basically because of metadata. You only have one Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones. You only have one London Calling by The Clash. Your album and your artist will allow you to find a recording. And if you're looking for a song, it's a song by an artist. There could be other artists covering the song. And you may want All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix instead of Bob Dylan. But these three variables are the only ones we use to find popular music, popular in air quotes, because not necessarily popular. Classical is different. You're looking for not an album, but a work, a work being a piano sonata, an opera, a short song, Schubert's Leader. Each one of those is an individual work, a three-minute song, or it could be a five-hour opera, right? But a work is something that, think of it as a Venn diagram. A work can be an album, and an album can be a work, but they're not always. So it doesn't fit into this usual schema of song, artist, album. And because of that, classical music with Apple's apps has always been, at best, a workaround. So, for example, way back when, and I'm talking 20 years ago, I had two iPods, 40 gigabyte iPods. One of them was for my classical music and one was for the rest. So what I would do is use two different iTunes libraries. If you don't know this, when you launch iTunes, if you hold down the Option key on the Mac or the Alt key, I think, on a Windows PC, you'll get a dialog asking you to choose a library or create a new library. So I had a classical and a non-classical library. I synced each one to an iPod and I could listen to all the music I wanted. And I knew other people who did this, who had multiple iPods. One of the things I did to keep track of my classical music is I created my own genres because classical is too broad. So I have classical piano, classical chamber music, classical opera, etc. in order to better distinguish them. And I put the composer's name in the artist field because when you use the column browser in iTunes, so on, I said iTunes, it's the music app. On the Mac, it's command B when you're in songs view. So you can get four columns, genre, composer, artist, album. And if you have artists for classical music, you either have way too many artists for certain albums or none at all because there's no metadata. So it was just a hack. Work and movement tags are a very good solution because you have this alternate way of looking in music. So if you take the classical music, we're going to link to my Tidbits article. I wrote a very long article in Tidbits about this app. And the example I used was one of Franz Schubert's piano sonatas. I picked Schubert's piano sonata in E-flat major, D568. D stands for Deutsch. He's the person who made the catalog of Schubert's music. Some classical works are cataloged like that, Bach's or BWV, Mozart's or K, etc. And when you look in the Apple Music app, and you'll see screenshots in a Tidbits article, you'll just see some random, hey, here's four artists, here's a bunch of records, including one of Chopin Nocturnes played by Arthur Rubinstein. What does that have to do with anything else, right? Why is there a Beethoven's Piano Concerto number five in this list? When you do it in the Apple Music Classical app, you get a list of works. And you can drill down through that list. You can see who's performed it. You can play a work. You don't have to play an album, right? You don't have to find that sonata in the album and pick out the tracks and play them. You can just play those tracks on their own. And that's really good. This is a really good solution. There are lots of downsides to this app. Nothing's perfect, but I think it's a really good 1.0 for classical music.
You um, have always said that it better have good search. Now, how is that? I mean, how how rigorous is the searching on it? The search is or good. Can, how rigorous can you get? The search is good. As I said, you search for a work, you find that work, you tap it, and you see all the recordings of the work. Within the search, you can actually filter, and you can narrow it down by genre, period, things like that. But even better, within a search, if you pull down just a little bit, you can search in the search. You get a sub-search which is useful. So one of the examples I showed in my article was searching for music by Morton Feldman. And when I got to the bottom of one of the recordings, there's a link to go to Mode Records, which was the label of one of the recordings I look at. And by the way, it's great for classical music because there are labels with personalities like this. And I show the screenshot of pulling down a little bit on the search results to get search in Mode Records albums. So any search result you get, you can do a sub-search, and that's useful. So you found a work, and you want to find a particular artist. You found a work, and you want to find another that it's paired with on an album. When you say artist, and it's classical music, you really are really talking about the performer. Performer. The performer-interpreter, which could be a symphony orchestra and conductor, pair the pair of symphony orchestra and conductor, or it could be the symphony orchestra on its own or the conductor on its own, a soloist, etc. Because it's interesting that the the ID3 metadata includes the opportunity to include performer and conductor and soloists and things like that. It's, it's just that nobody takes advantage of these things. These, this data isn't necessarily written to all files. There's no constitute. There's no world constitution <laughs> about how to fill out classical metadata, unfortunately. So everybody takes a good stab at it. I think, is it Hyperion that you were saying does excellent metadata? They do the best metadata in the business, even to the point of including song texts in the lyrics tabs for arias and leader and anything that's sung, choral works, et cetera, even if it's in Latin. They put the song text that's in their liner notes. So let's understand this. This is information that's actually in the audio file that travels with the audio file. Right, it's embedded in the audio file. The thing is, we can't see the metadata on the Apple Music Classical app because it's on iOS. So on a Mac or on Windows, you right-click a track, get info, and you can fill out, you got five tabs, and you can look at the metadata and fill it out and change it, which, as I said, my composer name in artist field was a thing I used to change manually. But we can't see what's going on behind. We know that there are work and movement tags. We know that I'm guessing the performers, interpreters are in the artist tag and not in the performer tag. I don't think Apple would want to make a change with what they've been doing in Apple Music, in the iTunes store since the beginning, etc. Right. They have to maintain some sort of consistency with their apps too, because... You know, people are going to pick this app up and say that you don't want a, a, a steep learning curve. It, you want some familiarity. And since they've already had the music app, iTunes app, you know, do these things. It's I, I presume. Now, I haven't looked at it yet. I presume you haven't looked at it at all. No, not at all. I wanted to wait for this because I wanted you to talk about it because I wanted oh, okay. to be completely ignorant of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen I read your article, which is terrific. I got to say this as an aside. It's wonderful to see uh, long articles about apps that I'm interested in. I very rarely see them. I know Tidbits does it frequently, but you don't, uh, most places you go and you see four or 500 words on something and that's about it. But this yeah. is a very thorough article. I, re I highly recommend that people read it. It came out to more than 4,000 words. And the reason is uh, about 
nearly half of it is explaining metadata to answer the question that you asked in the beginning, because most people don't understand. They think, oh, okay, I want to listen to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And it's not that simple. It's not. And I even mentioned a project that you were involved in in the mid-2000s when a tech entrepreneur who was a fan of classical music contacted me out of the blue. He'd read my stuff in iTunes, and he wanted someone to work with him to build a classical music database. And so I worked for a while setting up you know, sort of guidelines for this. You worked making a prototype app for a little bit. It it kind of failed because of the financial crisis and he lost a lot of money from his foundation, but whatever. But it was an interesting way to look at this and to see how how much normalization is needed. So every composer name should be the same. You, you can't say Johann Sebastian Bach for one, J.S. Bach for another, Bach comma Johann Sebastian for another, because that's three different entries in a database. Right. That would be that would be like cataloging the Rolling Stones as the Stones, uh, the Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones, any number of... Uh, R Stones. Yeah, right. Whatever. R Stones. The Glimmer Twins. Yeah. Whatever. Right. It would be but that it's discouraging. It's the same for works. Be, that would be awful. Yeah. It's the same for actual works, and we get the problem of which language to use. So you have to map originals and translations of works, right? Do you, do you want to... So Brahms wrote a requiem called Ein Deutsch Requiem, or Eine Deutsche Requiem. I'm not sure what the gender is. It's called the German Requiem in English, but most classical recordings use the German name. So you're looking for one or the other. You want to find all of them. Yeah, that's something I, I really hadn't thought of as being problematic just to classical music, because that doesn't happen in pop music. If it's in English, then it stays in English. If it's in German, then it stays in German. Rare exceptions. 99 Luftballonen was actually translated into English, 99 flying balloons or whatever it was, but rare exceptions, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of work going there. And now, we talked a while back about the delay in the Apple Music Classical, and I posited that Apple hadn't realized how much metadata needed to be fixed. And this is what was taking a long time. It's grunt work. It really is with grunt work that needs to be verified. For now... I haven't found problems. I found some weird search issues, but they're not that important. They'll be fixed because Apple's reading this article and they're going to fix my particular search issues. What I don't know is how many classical albums from Apple Music are not available here. Now, we can't know because you can't search for... If you were to search in Apple Music for an album and not find it in Apple Music Classical, that would prove it. But there's a lot of work to do that, right? Ha have you not been able to find something you were aware of? I haven't yet not found something. A double negative there. Wow. I know of a very rare recording. I want to see if I can find it. Do you, have you any, run across any such thing? No, but if the recording is in Apple Music, then see, the thing is, if you look on your Mac or your PC in Apple Music, you look at, you take any of the recordings that you can see in the Apple Music Classical that aren't too recent, right? Because this metadata, the major labels have only started adding it in the last five years or so, or at least they've been consistent. But if you look on Apple Music, you'll find recordings that don't have updated metadata. The Apple Music Classical app does have updated metadata. So you're using two different databases here. That's good. 
Or, I like that. Or they're using one database with a split for if it's the Apple Music Classical, we get this data. If it's not, we get that. It's not good. It means that the work and movement tags are not applied in Apple Music. So you don't see them the same way that you do in Apple Music Classical. Well, maybe they've realized that they, they can't they can't put them together because they're... They have to. Know. They're the same recordings. They have the same album IDs, I'm sure. Oh, of course. I, I agree with that they have two separate databases that refer to each other by the IDs of the audio file. And, but I, I definitely see how they would not want to blend the, the metadata necessarily. Or maybe they haven't yet. Well, it's more that they haven't yet because, yes, they want to blend it. For instance, I'm just looking at, and here's a good example. I'm going, we're going to do this live. I'm going to look up Schubert Piano Trios Opus 99 and 100 by Andreas Steyer. Because when I look at it in Apple Music on my Mac, I don't see work and movement tags. I see, oh horror, disc one and disc two. So if I go here, Andreas Steyer, and see all of his albums, of course, this might not be easy to find, but oh, look at that. I can pull down and I can search for Schubert now. Isn't that useful? So I'm searching for Schubert, and here is Piano Trios, Opus 99 and Opus 100. And there you go. So the work and movement tags, uh, look at my tidbits article, you'll see. At the beginning of work, you have the name of the work in bold, and then you have the track numbers below it in... Roman, as it were. So I'm looking at this recording in Apple Music Classical, and it has the work and movement tags. When I look at it on my Mac and Apple Music, it doesn't have it. This is a 2016 recording, so it's not recent, recent, but it's from the Harmonia Mundi label, which has generally been good about metadata. They probably just got good after this recording was released. So Maybe. Gee, too, but even so, you got to admit, 2016 is still pretty late to get in the metadata game, don't you think? Well, see, that's early Apple Music. Apple Music launched in 2015. That's early streaming, I want to say. I don't think back then a lot of these classical labels were streaming their stuff. Harmonia Mundi is kind of like Hyperion. They're a French label. They're indie, been around for a long time, great content. In the early streaming days, I think classical labels just didn't want to get involved in streaming, and it, it took the critical mass for them to all say, yes, we're going to stream. By the way, we mentioned a few weeks ago that Hyperion has been sold to Universal Records. I don't have any guarantee, but I assume that their music is going to be available on the streaming services. And if so, I think that's a pretty big deal because they have a, a really great catalog of music. I still think that the classical music world just didn't latch on to metadata soon enough. I mean, I just, I, I just have that. Is that a gut feeling? Because it's, it's always been problematic. They've always been late to the game on this. They were late to the game on everything, actually. I well, think. you're talking about it like it's monolithic. There were labels that had excellent metadata from the beginning. I mean, uh, Hyperion, I'm pretty sure that once they went digital or, or once they started having people ripping CDs, they probably, you know, put the metadata up. And once they went digital, and I can't remember what year this was, they made sure that they had really good metadata. But others didn't. But others lagged. Many others. Yeah, and you you wonder why they should be aware. I, I, I've bought records, and it's been a long time, I said records. I bought recordings from Deutsche Grammophon, which is one of the big labels owned by Universal Records, that would come down as track one, track two, track three, track four, and it's just insulting. Yes, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, you didn't have, that isn't necessary. That was Well, so anyway, to, to finish off, this is a really good... 1.0. However, it's iPhone only. Why do people not listen to classical music using an iPad? What about a Mac? 
I would see this as being a sidebar entry in the music app, right? So in the Apple Music section, you have Listen Now, Browse, and Radio. Why not just add a classical entry? Now, there are some problems. You can't download anything in the Apple Music Classical app, but if you save it, then go to the Apple Music app, you can download to listen offline. It's, it, it, there's two different teams working on these apps. It looks like that. They're on, they're on opposite sides of the spaceship headquarters, right? And they never talk to each other because it's too far away. Um, will we get this in Apple Music on computers? Because I would love to have this ability on my Mac and not be forced to use an iPhone to search for and listen to classical music. Will it be a separate app on the Mac and PC? I, I, I don't mind it. Well, again, I haven't used it at all, but I do have iOS only apps or at least apps, music apps, type apps on my phone that I don't have on on the computer, but I just AirPlay or in a particular case, I use Audio Engine with Kobuzz. And so I kind of like the idea of having the music in my hand and sitting in front of my stereo and going, I would like to hear the snow. And I do it with my phone. But that's you. And that's me. We use the phone like a remote control for listening to music, right? But see, one of the issues is, will they allow people to combine their classical libraries with the Apple Music classical stuff? Will it have a match an upload thing. The problem is your library probably doesn't have the work and movement tags. So you're getting again into two different overlapping schemas here. And I don't see this as, I mean, they can use acoustic fingerprinting to match a track and to say, you know, this is the track and we're putting the metadata in, but we've seen what they do to metadata that they just shred it and rip it apart. And I, I'm really, I'm really hesitant about something like that. Not only that, the transmission of the metadata from the Apple servers to your particular device for the first couple of years was a little problematic. I remember there was a problem with Roman numerals. I remember there were all kinds of little tiny things that stuff wouldn't sync properly. And that, that might even still be going on to some degree now. Um, but it seems to me that they want to be, if, if they've learned anything about the Apple Music app, they should be very cautious and go very carefully and don't yeah. screw anything up because it'll get a bad rep. And, uh, you know, music already has that to some degree. I think this is the best solution they could have come up with, segregating classical in Apple Music from the normal Apple Music. I don't like the fact that Apple Music's not getting the same metadata with the works and movements. Is it a way of pushing people to use the Apple Music classical app if they want to listen to classical? But if you've already got a library of, you know, 15,000 classical tracks in mine, and I can't really access them the same way. So in the Apple Music Classical app, if you tap library, you'll see albums, playlists, tracks, artists, recordings, works, and composers. If you have classical records in your Apple Music library, you'll see them in albums and you'll see playlists. You'll see classical tracks in playlists in the playlist list, but you can't search the albums list. You don't get that pull down to, to search it. It's totally useless. Playlists are okay. So you can maybe build a playlist in the Apple Music app and sync it to your library and you'll get it in the Apple Music Classical, but I don't really listen to playlists that often. I mean, I do have classical playlists, which is here are all these works by a composer, right? That sort of thing. You use them organizationally and not as exactly, play, not to play lists, right? Right, right. So uh, again, we've got two overlapping things here. Uh, hard to know where they're going, but 
I'm really glad that finally, after all these years, I mean, I went back and looked on Macworld. My first articles about the annoyances of classical music with iTunes were from 2005. So it only took 18 years for Apple to understand. All right. That's all I needed to know. Now I need to know if you have an extract. Of course you do. Well, you know, today I'm not going to pick an extract. I'm going to pick a gadget that I recently bought. Okay. I have a cup of tea in my hand that I made about 35 minutes ago, and it is still at 54 degrees. I bought an Ember mug. This is a, technically it's not a smart mug. It's a mug that keeps your tea or coffee at a set temperature. So it's got a battery and you charge it. In the app, you set the temperature you want. And I found it 54 is good. It's hot without being scalding. 54 degrees in, in your country. In my country, right. Which is 8,400 degrees in your country. Something like that. Yeah, that's pretty hot. Yeah. And... It says the battery life's about an hour and a half. I've n I've never had it run out. And what it means is if I make a cup of tea before a podcast, I still have hot tea at the end of the podcast. Or I make a cup of tea when I get to my desk in the morning. I'm working for an hour. I've forgotten about the tea. I hate drinking cold tea. And I go back and it's still hot. So this is called the Ember Mug 2. I think it's the second version. I'll put a link in the show notes. What have you got, Doug? Short and sweet. In 2003, 20 years ago, when the Elephant album by the White Stripes came out, I never listened to it. <laughs> I know a lot of the songs on it. I've heard them, you know, you hear them all the time. But 20 years ago, I just, I don't know, I never got around to picking up the album. I've never listened to the album. The deluxe version has just been released with, uh, I guess, you know, the requisite outtakes and live cuts and things like that. But I thought it would give me an opportunity to actually listen to the original album so I can kind of like feel like I'm caught up even though it's, it came out 20 years ago. So there you go. White Stripes, Elephant is my next track. This was episode number 253 of the next track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at nexttrackcast. And don't forget to support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free and self-sustaining, so your support is what keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We will talk to you next time.